Hi everybody, it's Bryant here. It's just me today for the intro because the amazing Dr. Aaron, our co-host, is in Montgomery, Alabama at the Alabama State House for the Fight for Alabama Families Protect IVF in Alabama Advocacy Day. We are so happy that she's there and that she is fighting for all Alabamians to be able to build their families exactly how they see fit. If you have more questions or want more information about the advocacy that we're doing and that all IVF clinics around the globe are actually participating in at this point, you can head to thefertilityresort.com or check out our Instagram or any of the other amazing fertility media outlets like resolve.org or the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. In the meantime, today on the podcast, we have an amazing woman by the name of Dorothy Johnson, aka the breakup coach. And she walks Dr. Aaron and I through her really beautiful and heart-wrenching story of grief with her, the loss of her daughter, Marilyn, and how she channeled a lot of the tools and resources that she created for her business, um, aka Dorothy the Breakup Coach, into how she experienced the grief of losing her daughter. It's really beautiful. You'll probably cry just like in every episode of Protected Space or that might just be be me and Aaron. (laughs) But in the meantime, we would love for you to check it out. And again, if you're here with us to learn more about the fight against the restrictions on IVF in Alabama, we hope you'll join us tomorrow for our town hall. You can find more information out about that through our social media channels at the Fertility Resort. See you there. Welcome to the Protected Space Podcast. This morning, we are talking to someone who I have kind of fangirled about to my partner, Bryant, (laughs) and I'm really excited to be talking to her today. Her name is Dorothy Johnson, aka Dorothy the Breakup Coach. And I met Dorothy a couple of months ago, and I don't know, I just got really excited about her and the way that she has changed her life's trajectory a couple of different times. So we wanted to have her on the podcast today because she has recently, um, what's a good way to say this? She has recently taken her future into her own hands in a way that I think relates to a lot of women who are of a certain age, be that in their 20s or their 40s, it doesn't really matter, who just aren't sure about what their fertility future and their baby making strategies is going to look like. So we're going to spend a little time talking with Dorothy today. Um, But first, she's going to tell us a little bit about herself and a little bit about how she became the breakup coach, because I just think this is cool. And it really sets the scene for who you are as a person. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. 
Love you. Very excited to meet you, Brian. Um, so thank you so much for having me here. Um, yeah, so I feel like we have to kind of rewind. We'll rewind to 2016, y'all. So I went through a breakup with a guy that I had been dating for about seven years. I was in my late 20s by that point. Um, I was very excited about um everything going on in my life at that time. We had finished, he had finished dental school, I had finished grad school. We were moving back to Florida. It kind of was that moment of I'm starting my life over again. And we finally get to kind of settle down, get engaged, have babies. We got the house. I was so excited. Um, anyways, long story short, we move into this house. And about a month or two after we moved back, I was on a work trip in Chicago. And on that work trip while I was in Chicago, he called me and he broke up with me over the phone. Oh, and God. I was... I know. I'm like, come on. Really? After, After seven, seven years? Seven years? That's insane. <laughs> no. So long story short, I'm very stubborn. I'm a Taurus. I don't know how woo-woo we Same. are here. Um, <laughs> so Taurus rising, Taurus sun, super Taurus through and through. So I was extremely stubborn. And I was like, I'm not going back to that house until you're no longer in the house so I can grab my things. And so I got an apartment with just my suitcase. They're like, here's the ele the freight elevator to move your things in. And I was like, I just got my suitcase and an air mattress. So let's do this. <laughs> and I moved into this apartment. And about a month later, he had to take his boards exams for um, his dentistry stuff. And so he was out of town. And so I flew back to the house. And when I got there, he had piled all of my stuff into the front room. And a new girl had been living there. Um, since I had left on my work trip. And so I was like very shook. I was oh my extremely, God. yeah, I was extremely devastated. Not only was I experiencing like the grief, the loss, the sadness of losing your person, losing your best friend. I was also extremely angry about this new girl who seemingly just swept in and stole the life that I'd worked so hard for the past seven years. She just got to like keep everything that I was so excited about. Um, so in that moment was kind of the moment for me where I just, I remember all of these negative emotions, but at the same time, something was happening inside of, I'm extremely committed and determined to creating the life that I thought I wanted with him on my own in a way that no one could ever take it away from me again. I never wanted to be in that situation where I had worked some so hard to like create and get to a specific lifestyle where without that person, it was then removed. Um, so I went on my adventure. I started my adventure like every millennial does on Google. And <laughs> I was Googling, how do you get over your ex? How do you forgive and let go? How do you move on when your ex moved on quickly? And I did all of the things. I meditated. I journaled. I got into the best shape of my life. I was traveling. I was doing all of the things. But what was so interesting was that a year and a half later, I still found myself super angry and resentful inside from the outside. Everyone's like, you're doing so great. And I'm like, really? Cause I feel like, ass. I don't know if we're allowed to, uh, swear on yes. here. So I apologize. Your yes. ass is fine. I felt, <laughs> I felt horrible inside. Right. And yeah. the craziest part about all of that is I was in a new relationship. And so I was in this new relationship and I was still comparing him to my ex. I was still poor guy just like dealt with so much stuff that I like unresolved stuff happening with me. I, I noticed the repeat, but like patterns, all of 
I was making decisions in hopes to get to like my ex's attention. It was just horrible. I was like, this is not what getting over your ex has to look like. There's no way. Um, so it wasn't until I stumbled across a podcast called the life coach school where I learned that thoughts create feelings. Now to just preface everything, I had a background in psychology. I have, I, I grew up with a dad who's a psychologist. I have my bachelor's in psychology, my master's in psychology. Um, and no one ever really just blatantly stated your thoughts, these optional sentences in your brain is what creates how you feel. And when I realized that I was like, wait, what? So the only reason I'm feeling <laughs> angry right now in this moment is because of these optional stories that I haven't changed over a year and a half. And that to me, was like the key that started to unlock what we're doing wrong in the form of heartbreak. I realized like all of the advice that I was getting was addressing breakup symptoms, like just takes time to heal. And I'm like, if you don't change your stories in that time frame, your feelings aren't going to change. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to go no contact. And I'm like, that's just addressing a trigger instead of addressing the root cause of reducing the desire for your ex, reducing that attachment to your ex, again, created by your thinking. So it just unlocked this whole space for me of realizing we're doing heartbreak wrong. A lot of the advice out there is addressing symptoms, which is fine. I'm glad that they do have some resources out there. But instead of addressing the symptoms, let's start addressing the root cause so that all of the symptoms are no longer a problem. And we're not trying to like manipulate the spaces around us and control things that we don't have control over to heal heartbreak. That just doesn't make sense to me. So the moment I realized all of that, I had already had people coming to me asking for help. And it wasn't until that point that I was like, I'm ready to help people. I know what to do here. And I cannot wait to just open this up because I even remember on um, looking on podcasts for things for breakups. And it was just two random guys just talking about stupid stuff that I was like, this is so not helpful. So I created the How to Get Over Your Ex podcast, which is really like bite-sized, very short to the point, informational, like next steps, kind of action-oriented um, advice to help you get over your ex, help you forgive and move on and uh, learn how to create a life that's bigger and better than the one that you had with your ex in a way where no one can take it away from you again in the future. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes Absolutely. a ton of sense. That's amazing. I wish I would have had that. <laughs> I know, my, right? Like, 20s. Yeah. I but I think what was so cool about listening to that story when I heard it the first time was I think you can apply the same principles to damn near anything that you want, right? For sure. If mm -hmm. you yeah. want something that isn't in your present, but it was in your past, or maybe it wasn't, but it's the thoughts create feelings piece that I think is the real sticking point. I think you can apply that in a lot of different directions. So talking to Dorothy, and I think that kind of brings us into the present day. Like she's created this whole strategy about changing your desires. So is it time to fast forward? Yeah, let's fast forward. Okay. So fast forward from that episode and, and, and the creation of the breakup coach. And then, okay, now I want you to tell us about your pregnancy loss, the miscarriage, what happened there, and then how that has kind of parlayed into where we are today. Yes. So I love it. So 
I mean, I, I went through multiple relationships. Um, I landed on a relationship where we wanted the same things. We were very excited about what was to come and we got engaged. We were ready to have babies. We were so excited, all of the things. Um, so I got pregnant and originally the first time I got pregnant was in November of 2021, where it resulted in an ectopic pregnancy. So that lasted a good like four days. It was very quick. It, it, I didn't have like a long drawn out process with that, but it was interesting because I'd never really heard of an ectopic pregnancy. I didn't know what it was. And then I realized how severe it could be. They're scary. Um, we caught, yeah. We caught it really quickly. So, um, I didn't have to have a surgery or anything like that. They didn't have to cut my fallopian tube open or anything. It was, they did an injection um, and it cleared up and everything was okay. So I got really lucky with that. That was amazing. And then, um, then a year later, I got pregnant again. And this pregnancy was very interesting in that the first probably four or five weeks of it, I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified it was an ectopic pregnancy. I couldn't get into the doctor. Um, obviously, you don't get into the doctor until like, what, eight weeks? Yeah, like a regular, unless you're like seeing a fertility doctor, they, I mean, the earliest you can get in is at eight weeks at this point. I don't even think insurance really allows you to scan anymore but before that, which is not so to me, but yeah, eight yeah. weeks. Yeah, so the first like while, I, I would say it wasn't until like six or seven weeks, I was out of the country in Europe, traveling around. And I was like, how do you even call 911? I don't, do they use 911? Is it a different number? Like I, what happens if I start bleeding out right here, right now? I was terrified. Um, so I was really, that was a very fascinating an experience to me. Cause when you think about pregnancy, or at least when I had thought about pregnancy, I was just like, you're going to be so excited and madly in love with your baby and have this great, but when you've gone through something in the beginning, it's very different. Um, so that was the first fascinating part of that, of being terrified the first five or six weeks. Finally, when I got to six weeks, I was like, okay, if something was supposed to go wrong, I think I'd be feeling it by now. I had to stop drinking sparkling water because over in Europe, they drink a lot of sparkling water. It gave me gas and I was terrified. It was like an ectopic pregnancy. Oh, wow. So anyways, long story short, I got to the first appointment at eight weeks. They confirmed baby Marilyn was in my uterus looking great, had a heartbeat, measured perfectly, was so excited. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I was so excited from eight weeks until 13 weeks. And then at 13 weeks was when actually, no, what happened was I did the 10 week like blood draw stuff. And that was the first inclination of at week 12, they got back to me and they said, Hey, it came up as positive for triploidy. I think that's how I say it. Um, sorry. I was gonna say trisomy. They called it with a P, but I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, so they they said this, but what was fascinating, I love data. So I'm looking at the data on this report. And what I realized is that most reports never even pulled for this. This is the only report, only company that will even pull for it. And it only has a 5% um, rate of being accurate. So every you know, when they get a positive, only 5% of those positives are, are real positives. And so I found that really fascinating and interesting. And so I just kind of like disregarded it and said it was invalid data. And so I they wanted to go through with a bunch of testing. And I said, you know, the first step of this testing to me is just to do an ultrasound at 13 weeks. Like you've, I'm not going to do anything more invasive 
than that without an ultrasound. So at 13 weeks, we went in, we had the ultrasound and then that's when it was very clear that she was, she had passed. She was no longer with us. There was no heartbeat. Um, she measured about the same uh, around nine, eight or nine weeks. So that was like way back when I went in for my first appointment. Um, and then they confirmed it was the you said trisomy or triploidy or whatever, but it's the, when the, the baby has three sets of chromosome instead of two. Yeah. Um, so that happened and coming out of that, I was seeing midwives. And so they, the midwives actually suggested, I always get this wrong. Is it a D and C or D and C? D and C. Yeah. D and C. Okay. Yep. So they recommended a D and C and I said, you know, I'm, really granola, I'd rather not. But they said, once you get to the doctor, you can have more of that conversation. So I go to a doctor. The doctor says, you know, she's measuring between eight and nine weeks. So you technically could try to do medical instead of the DNC. And then later, if it doesn't work, you would have to go do the DNC. What would you prefer to do? So I tried the medical at home first. And that was traumatic. I really did not I really wish that someone would have told me more about what that experience. I think I spoke to Erin. I think I spoke to you about it a little bit where it's, it's very different. The way the words that are used don't make sense for what the experience is. Um, mm-hmm. Like if, and I don't know how like in detail I can go here. So just as detail as you want anything okay. you're comfortable with. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just kind of like, I wish that the, the doctor said you're going to have cramping and bleeding. And so when you say cramping and bleeding to me, I'm like, how am I going to know the difference between that and my period? And they said, you'll know the difference. And instead, it would have been like really great if they would have just said, we're giving you drugs that put you into labor, the same kind of drugs that we give people who are about to go into labor at full term. And you're going to have contractions that are a lot lighter than you would if you were actually having a baby and you will give birth to your child at home when the baby is not fully formed or developed. Like I kind of wish that those words, and I don't even know if that's medically correct, but I wish that those were the words that were used so that when I went home, because I had a very skewed view of what was happening. I literally was like, okay, let's go get takeout. I'll take, let's put on a movie. I'll take Uh these drugs, I'll go to the bathroom and things will be fine. And like, that was so far from the experience. Yeah. They do a really poor job of informing you of what's to come. It's Mm -hmm. not. And then if they do, it seems like all they do is scare you. It's like, they don't really tell you anything with any sort of progressive steps. It's like, well, you're going to have bleeding and cramping, but if you start vomiting, come back. Like, okay. I mean, what am I supposed to do? with these two sets of information, because what happens between A and Z? (laughs) Like they, they don't tell you very much. Right. And I think too, like that experience could have been very sacred and like ceremonial and like special. And if I would have known or really like comprehended what was happening, I would have made it such. I would have as much effort as I, I made um, or put into like the birthing plan, I would have done that with this experience. I would have been clear. I would have set an attention. I would have lit some sage. I would have had candles. I would have not been sitting on the toilet to be quite honest. Like, I think that there were a lot of things that I would have done done differently. And then I wouldn't have been so surprised because I think the hard part, the, like the, the, the pill that I swallowed that I wish I could take back is just that it's like, 
I'm on the toilet and I, I don't know, I got embarrassed or I felt like ashamed or I felt some sort of way when everything came out that I just like flushed her. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish I would have kept her. I wish I would have kept her so that I could have buried her. I, Because this is baby that. Marilyn. This Ooh. is, you'd already named this baby. You already yeah. had invested in this little person and the future that you were going to have with her. And then essentially they said nothing. They didn't, I, I totally understand what you're saying, but I don't know that anyone's ever said that to me before when talking about a miscarriage, the way that you said, I wish I had known so that I could have done something different and like been with her and had a different experience with her and made it ceremonial. And I, I don't know, that really struck me because if it's happened to you, it's happened to probably a million women that have been through mm-hmm. something similar who probably feel the exact same way. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. It's already such a sad situation, but then to go into it with regret at the choices you made because you weren't informed about what is happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that was huge of just like, I wish I would have kept her. I wish I would have had a ceremony. And I did months, months and months later, I did do like a ceremony, but you don't have her remains. Um, It's just weird. It's a different feeling. So that happened. My recovery, the like that's a whole other section of the story, right? Where it's like the recovery, I just... I still am trying to comprehend the recovery of, you know, someone told me like five days on the bed, five days a step away from the bed and a five days within steps of the bed or something. I was like, 15 days? Like, that seems ridiculous. Like, I don't know. But we, I, I think if I could go back, I would have been like, you need to treat a miscarriage as if it's like postpartum, like Absolutely. postpartum from actually giving a baby. And I think women tried to tell me that there were a couple of women who came to me trying to tell me that, but I couldn't hear it. I, I was stuck in this, like, cause I think too, when you're going through a miscarriage, it feels like the world around you is going when your whole world has just stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it felt like my whole world had just ended, but yet the other, the world is continuing to go. So you feel like you need to like pick yourself up and get going like a week after my miscarriage, I was in the gym trying to like lift weights and get back into shape and like all of these things. And I'm like, girl, you, I was bleeding so bad that I was wearing a diaper at the gym. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why did you do that to yourself, Dora? Like, why did you push yourself to that extreme? Like that was so not necessary. Your body needed to rest so badly. Um, But that's not what you see in America. In America, it's look at all the celebrities. They squeeze their babies out and in six weeks, they're back in their skinny clothes. And that's what we have decided is what we're supposed to do. So yeah, I mean, I guess if you think about it in those terms too, like, oh, well, if I, if I wasn't able to carry my baby to full term, then I probably only need a week or two and then I should be good to go. Yeah, exactly. It was so wild. I've, and I don't know if Aaron's, I've had seven miscarriages and, um, I feel like I, I always felt like I did, couldn't complain about, or like feel all the things that I was supposed to feel because like, well, I didn't carry this baby to term. So like, I don't, so I didn't because it was a first trimester miscarriage or a 12 week miscarriage in one case, like it didn't feel like I had been pregnant along enough to like 
feel valid in my feelings of grief. Right? I feel you. I like feel you I, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I didn't feel like I was allowed to feel that, which yeah. is, I don't even know where I heard that. Like, why, why would I tell myself that? Like, I just like made that up, like that yeah. I, it wasn't okay for me to feel grief. I don't know. Yeah. I, I relate totally, completely. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, because the people surrounding me had differing views as yeah. well. So I think that's hard as well as I don't think if you've gone, if you haven't gone through it, or if you're not a woman, <laughs> it's really hard to comprehend. Like you're, you're mourning someone that no one else met. Yep. Right. It's and one so, of it's one of, I think, maybe the most intimate experience I've ever had with myself. Yeah. Um, watching mm-hmm. death right go right through you. Like, I mean, truly yeah. the most intimate experiences I've ever had with myself are in those moments. I love the way you put that, intimate experiences. I love the way you put that. Yeah. So good. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know there are no words to, like, make that better or okay, but I just really appreciate you sharing that with me. Well, and obviously you being here today, it's hard. Sometimes it can be really hard, but I find it cathartic to talk about it, especially with like-minded women who understand or who have unfortunately had to bear that pain too. Like it makes me feel better or validated, Mm -hmm. or I don't even know what kind of word it is about the experiences that I've had. So I'm glad that you're here today to talk. A hundred percent. Cause I feel the same way. I feel grounded being able to talk about it. It's like the peer to peer support of mm-hmm. people who really get it. It's just different. It is. And the people mm-hmm. that haven't fortunately ever had to experience this, I don't think that they will ever really know. I think it's, you know, it's, you're part of the worst club that exists, unfortunately. I've heard that in one of the support group things. I don't remember which one it was, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Worst club, best members. Yeah. (laughs) As somebody that was able to have my children, I, I mean, I remember waking up every day, especially when I was pregnant with the twins, because they give you all this fear stuff about twins and how dangerous the pregnancy is. And so that one felt more intimidating to me. Mm. And every day I would wake up and go to the bathroom. And my first thought every morning was, please don't let there be any blood when I go to the bathroom. And the the relief that came when there wasn't. And so to hear you, I'm crying. I always cry when we talk about miscarriage because I just don't know how you do it. I just, I don't know. As someone who didn't have that and who was able to get to the end, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine what had happened. What would have happened to me if that, if that happened to me? I just don't know because every day I would say, oh my God, thank God. They're still in there and we're doing okay. And I did that until they came out into the world. And I just, I don't know. I don't think I could have gotten out of my bed. So I'm just so impressed at all of the people that I meet who get over it. I don't know how you do it. It just baffles me. I cry every time we talk about it. And you're not crying. And that's, that's so crazy. Like, well, I didn't go through it, but I just want you to know that every time you share your story, it really does impact the people like me. So I don't know if that's helpful at all. But I love you. Thank you for that. You're so kind. And I don't know if you've had this experience, Bryant, but like, I'm really actually curious about this. I'll, I'll continue on my story again, but like I just a side, side note, sidebar over here. 
something that I've really been working with in the last however many months is being, I don't want to use the word triggered, but like it's almost, it's a trigger of getting my period every month. Like Mm -hmm. there's no way that I physically could be pregnant. Like I protected sex, all the things. So there's no legitimate way that I could be pregnant, but my mind and my body almost got to this point of like wanting to be pregnant so bad that it was like hoping it could will it into happening. Like, yeah. (laughs) Right. And then, and then my period's about to come up and I'm taking pregnancy tests knowing that I'm not pregnant. And then the period would start and I'm like devastated, even though I knew it was coming. Yeah. It's a very vicious cycle. I think mine is unfortunately the opposite now. Mm -hmm. Now I'm scared to not get my period because I know what that means. That means I'm pregnant and I'm going to have another loss. Like Mm -hmm. that is so, I completely understand that thought process, but mine's just the opposite now. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's crazy what our brains do to us too. I think when you go through such a traumatic experience, especially more than one, you know, and in your case twice, one was an ectopic, which is terrifying. And obviously that was a completely different experience, but like, it's just wild what our brains can manifest into our body. Like I have visceral, like shaking responses to certain triggers when it comes to pregnancy and pregnancy loss, like, like can't breathe, have to like take slow, deep breaths, like an actual trauma response to, yeah. And it can be, it's not always like a pregnancy announcement or a, your period or whatever it is. It's not always the ones that you think are going to cause you that trigger. Oftentimes for me, it's like, I don't know, thinking about, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to explain it. It could be like something on a podcast or I'm reading a book and they're talking about school drop-off or something. I mean, it's just like, it's not, it doesn't always, it's not always the big things that you think are going to cause your, you to feel triggered. It's a lot of times very small, small things. I don't know. Sorry. It's my brain's a little. Things. No, the subtle things. I think it makes up. total sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it can also come up. Um, one of the things that I think about is sometimes, I don't know how to put this into words, but a lot of the majority of the time, I don't think I'm necessarily mourning baby Marilyn. I'm mourning the potential of baby Marilyn. Yep. What I saw. The life that you dreamed of when you were pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. So the subtle things that you're talking about to me make total sense because you think of your child going to school and then you read about drop-off rates and you're like, my child didn't even get to go to school. So fuck off, you know, like, exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to be a, and for the, you know, your friends, cause I don't know about you, but all of my friends have kids now. Um, I am almost the last one without a child at this point. And so even just, I don't want to be the drag at book club or when we're hanging out or whatever that I, you know, but I don't, it's hard to participate in conversations when you have, you can't like, you know, my friends want to talk about their kids and they should talk about their kids. That's wonderful and beautiful, but like, I can't join in the conversation. And that is really hard for me that I can't do that. Yeah, I totally, I totally understand that. There's two things that kind of come up for me with that of ways that I've been coping with it, right or wrong, good or bad. I have no idea, but 
I one there was a spirit I got into spirit babies I don't know if you're into woo woo but I got into spirit babies I have seen so many spirit baby uh communicators and like one of the things that's one of them told me that I thought was so powerful for me and like really helped me because I was getting frustrated with my friends having babies and getting pregnant and then complaining about things. And I'm like, bitch, you have your baby. Why are you complaining? Yeah. <laughs> like, which I yeah. like, I'm sure that if, and when I become a parent, I will complain. So I, there's no judgment there. I get it. But then when they're complaining about like, oh, we timed it incorrectly. Now our baby's coming for Christmas or whatever. I'm just like, I would do anything. I would do anything to have your baby for you, like anything, you know? So, but in moments like that, anyways, I was speaking to a baby communicator and she had told me like, uh, one of the ways that you could look at this is your manifestation is, you know, so near to you because you have so many people who are having babies. And for me, that helped. I realized that that's not going to help everybody. But for me, that helped me just be like, oh, I get to, you know, there, this being a mom thing is more near to me than I might realize. And it might be years and it might be never that I become a mom, but at least I'm surrounded by that mother energy. I I don't know. It's just something that was super helpful. Um, And a lot of the ways that I've been coping over the past year with all of this, and we'll get more into the story later, because I won't be coming a mom for a while, I don't think, um, unless it's like a surprise. But one of the ways I've been coping over the last year is that just becoming a mom in so many other ways. Like I've started uh, coaching figure skating to like five and six-year-olds. And I'm like, damn, this is kids with blades on their feet. I don't know. This is why. Do you coach figure skating? Yeah, so fun. Just okay, I'm gonna have little. to put you. I'm gonna have to give my contact information or your contact information to my sister-in-law. My niece Julietta wants to be a figure skater. We took her skating last year. This is a huge sidebar, but we took her to like an open skate last year, just to the Civic Center, and that little girl ran around the rink screaming, "I'm a natural!" To I love it. Bringers. All right. We got to get her in skating lessons. That's hilarious. Anyways, sorry. Right? So good. No, I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have her come. But yeah, so it's like, that's been filling up my cup of being a mom of being like, okay, so here are some areas like I'm realizing like discipline, like how do I get a five-year-old to listen to me and like learning that experience. Um, And then volunteering at the Valerie house with, um, Mm. you know, kids who are struggling from grief and how that aligns and like interacting with kids of all ages. So it's just like, that's one of my biggest ways of coping that's helped me dramatically is just getting involved with kids in so many other ways. Whereas before I think I was almost afraid to get involved with kids and I was like, I'll feel better about it once I have my own child and get to practice with my own child. And so now I'm just getting uncomfortable and doing it in reverse. Um, So that was one thing that really I've just been loving for myself because I don't know, like that mother quality energy of like the things that I wanted to do. And then also doing all the things that I wanted to do. So like this Christmas would have been the first Christmas with baby Marilyn. And so I did a huge invite to my family. I'm going to decorate. I'm going to have a fucking stocking for like, I'm doing everything that I wanted to do. And I even threw my dog, love her to death. She's a 130 pound great Dane. Oh my gosh. I, she's two. She turned two in July. And so I threw her this big birthday party as if I would have thrown a birthday party for baby Marilyn. So it's just like 
figuring out ways of like having that experience. And then when my friends are talking about their kids, I'm like, I have no shame in my game. I'm going to compare my dog to your child. So <laughs> that's what we're doing today. You know, like I love that. that's what I've got. So that's what I'm coming with. And if you guys don't like it, I give zero fucks. You're going to have yeah. to get over it. I like that. I love that. <laughs> it's really amazing that you've been able to channel that energy too, because I think a lot of times, like I avoid doing things that are going to make me sad or, you know, so like I would have never even thought about still doing the same things just in different ways. Like I, w- I would have never thought about throwing my dog a big birthday party. They get birthdays, any birthday parties anyways, but like channeling it into that kind of like, in a emo- like relief. I don't know. I just would have never thought about that. And I think that's a really healthy perspective that a lot of people don't have. This is why I love the breakup coach. (laughs) This is why I was like, everything about your experience, not everything, but so much about talking to you and going through this and listening to you is like, wow, this is something that's really unique. And I don't feel like a lot of people have figured out how to tap into this. And I just love the way that she's done this sort of in your face redirect It's so unapologetic and it's just super refreshing. It's super refreshing that you're like, fuck it. This is what I've got going on. And if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. But my friends probably aren't going to care. They're going to be like, yeah, that's Dorothy and we love her and we're going to have a fucking dog party. So (laughs) you don't have to be, it's like, it takes some of the shame and the stigma and the guilt and it just sort of transforms it into like, I'm going to live joyfully and you know, you still have your sorrows, but I love that. I just love it. So I'm glad that you're into it, Brian. I am. So I'm fun. here for it. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, okay. so good. So yeah. are you, I have a question. So yeah. are you, you're actively not trying to conceive now? Correct. Mm-hmm. So the rest of that story was like, I went through the month of November bleeding all the time. The doctor said it was normal. So I thought it was normal, but I was mm-hmm. like, but how much blood is normal? Because I feel like this is a little bit more. And my mom kept being like, door, like, I don't think it's supposed to be like this. I don't think like the fact that I had to keep wearing diapers was just yeah. kind of like, and I couldn't get back to my normal life again during a time where you're like, I want to get back to normal. I want to get back to normal. Yep. Um, and so that ended up leading to, I woke up one morning and I was like gushing blood, <laughs> huge, um, clots. chunks. Yes. I'm like huge clots, blood coming out everywhere. And then, um, I showered again. I changed my diaper. I called the <laughs> changed my diaper <laughs> ways of being a mom, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. called, called the doctor. The doctor's like, you have an appointment today at two. Do you want to wait? Or if it keeps bleeding like this, we suggest you go to the ER, but I'm like, Oh my God, I can't, I don't want to go to the ER. It's so expensive. I want to wait until two o'clock. So I was like, I'm going to try to wait. But I had, I went over to my cousin's house so that I had someone like watching me and making sure everything was okay. Um, but then when I went to the doctor that, that evening or that afternoon, they're like, you're, you're going to have to have surgery soon. And I'm like, okay, so like Monday, Tuesday morning, cause it's a Friday afternoon. They're like, no, you need to like stay in the, ho- like, we need to put you in the hospital today right now and have surgery either tonight or early tomorrow morning. Um, And so that was a whole other experience that, God, I hated. It was horrible. Um, So you had, you eventually had a DNC? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So had that experience, stayed in the hospital for two nights. I lost a lot of blood during it. I had never lost a lot of blood. So I didn't really, again, the recovery with that felt like it was 
slow in comparison to how the rest of the world wanted me to recover. <laughs> it was just the long drawn out process. And then, yeah, it was just tough. It was a lot of moments of transition during that as well, that it felt like a whole upheaval of my life. And so I didn't feel like I could lay down and rest. I felt like I had to get up and move and go. Yeah. Um, and that space was extremely difficult. And so since then, we are not in the process of trying to conceive. My partner really got to this place of like feeling like he wasn't ready to have kids. He wasn't ready to go through that again. He, um, which was really hard on our relationship because of this. I wanted to try again immediately. As soon as we yeah. found, when we were sitting in there and the the heartbeat was gone, I was like, can we can try again? Like immediately. Right. And he's like, yeah. But then a week later, after we're going through all this turmoil, it just like the more things that went wrong, the more there was resistance of, you know, trying again for a number of reasons. He just, you know, it was tough on him. It was tough on me and watching me go through that, I think was also tough. And then there was just like a lot of components, a lot of different things happening that he it was a no. And so over the past year, we haven't tried to conceive again. We're not trying to conceive again. And we're really working on our relationship. We're working on getting everything settled. We're working on making sure that our life is really set up to welcome a baby in a non-chaotic way, if that makes sense. It does. Um, After our first miscarriage, we didn't try again for a whole year. Like Mm. we, we were like, no, I mean, we were both pretty traumatized by that first one. And it was and a seven week miscarriage. So it wasn't even super far along, but it was far enough along to where, you know, I mean, it kind of wakes you up. It's almost like a wake up call. It is. Yeah. But we didn't try again for a year. And then we got pregnant the month that we started trying, we got pregnant again and then had another early miscarriage. And then our third one, we tried again immediately after that. And we got pregnant and then we had a 12 week miscarriage. And it was just like, I don't know. I say this like, you know, I have unfortunately have passed babies into a toilet, like, and it's horrific. And I don't know how anybody does that. I have had of the seven miscarriages, I've had four DNCs. And I don't know if this is a trauma response for me, but now they've never just been a spontaneous miscarriage. It's always like there's no heartbeat you know, it always happens at a doctor, uh, you know, and especially now that I've done IVF and like been through fertility treatments and all that, like I get to the point where I'm like, get it out of me, put me in the hospital, knock me out and get the baby out of me. Like that is my, like I, that is my form of a ceremony. I don't like know how to describe it other than that, but that's like what I need now. Like, and this last miscarriage was hard because they made me wait a whole week after there was no heartbeat um, because they had to triple check, I guess, with the new abortion laws that are in effect, make me want to fucking vomit into my microphone, even saying that, um, they made me walk around for a whole week with a dead baby inside of me before they would schedule my DNC. And that was a whole kind of, um, like hell that I wish upon no one. I mean, it was horrific. So, I like appreciate how you were, how you wish that you could have done something at the time and all that. And I wish I could be that like that, but now I just, 
I'm like, get it out of me. It's I don't know how to say. Thing. No, because I think there's almost like a level of wanting to feel complete. And yeah, I think that maybe your way of feeling complete is like getting the the process and the the whole um I wanna say I want to say process, but it's that whole experience, having that whole experience complete and complete as soon as possible. So that yeah. again, it's like this weird needing to get back to normal. It, it totally is. Even though you're not, I mean, it takes mm-hmm. so long for your body to recognize that you're not pregnant. Like I go into a DNC and 30 minutes later I come out and I'm not pregnant, but my body thinks I'm still pregnant. And for the next mm-hmm. eight weeks, as my beta HCG is watched as it goes down to zero, Cause that's how long it takes me after every time for my body to finally be like, Oh, you're not pregnant anymore. Like it's a wild, wild experience. Like, yeah. and it doesn't happen overnight, even though like going into a DNC, you think like, okay, I'm not pregnant anymore, but your hormones do not feel that way. That's not yeah. what happens. And it's, I don't know. I wish there was a way to describe, I wish like the general population knew that. Yeah, because if the general population knew that, then we would have known that. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, yes. I think yes. that's that's where my mind goes to now of just like this information needs to get out there because people need to know this before it happens. And I hate to even have to say like it's going to happen, but it might happen to you or it might not happen to you. But I'm like the having this information ahead of time is going to be so much more useful than having it after the fact, because I I just, I wonder how different my experience would be, how different your experience would be if, if we would have known those things going in. Do you know what I mean? For sure. If it doesn't happen to you, it might happen to your sister or your best friend Mm -hmm. or, but you know, again, the more people that understand this, the more resources any person would have to say, um, I'm going to call my sister. I think she understands what to do with this. Or, you know, I just need someone here to help me. That's not my husband because, yeah. you know, he's a lot less likely to have any kind of an inkling of what to do with you. But Brian, I think in your case, I mean, it's self-preservation, right? Like, I don't even know what to call you it. you know. I feel so callous and insensitive to-, to say that. Like, I feel like an asshole even saying that, that that is my inclination is to be like, get this baby out of me like that that is what it is like I don't know I feel like a but I think when you say that this is what I think when you say that it's not about the baby what you're saying is I can't process this traumatic experience at home by myself on a toilet again I need someone to help me I need someone to intervene so that I can physically and mentally not fall apart and not go through the witnessing of the process again. Again. Yeah. Again. And you're right. Thank you for making me feel better by saying that. (laughs) Well, you're not the only one. I mean, if I had the option of after numerous times, right, you probably don't feel that way the first time, maybe the second time. But when you're hitting your stride and how many times this has happened, I think we can't judge any kind of experience. Yeah. You know, I just, we can't, you can't judge yourself and I certainly can't judge you. And unfortunately that's kind of what happens in the whole healthcare system, right? Is that they Mm -hmm. send you on your merry way and wish you the best when what they really need to do is say, you know, like, oh my God, every time I think about Dorothy, that story that you said when we were sitting at lunch and you were like, and then this bill came from the hospital and 
you know, she said what they should have sent me was a gift box and a sympathy mm -hmm. card. But instead, I got a bill for the most traumatic and worst experience of my life. And what a slap in the face. And I had never thought about that before and thought, holy shit, that's so true. It's like to send somebody out of the hospital and just be like, okay, off you go with no acknowledgement and no advice and no postpartum care plan. You're right. Like, why don't the hospitals have boxes of... This is what you need to do. This is how to care. But I mean, they just don't, they don't do that. And I don't know, it's funny because I've already emailed one of my friends who works at our local hospital and was like, I want your hospital to do this differently. And I want to help you educate your hospital on how to do this and set a precedent. So I've already started this communication with her. I'm like, so I love that. you gotta have a guide and you gotta have, yeah, I'll tell you who it is later, but I probably should keep it to myself. But anyway, you gotta have a guide and you got to have people that are trained in your emergency room and you need a box you need a closet just like you have for the women who are giving birth you need the women who gave birth in a very atypical tragic format they need to leave with something so anyway mm -hmm. i've been i've been very empowered by these conversations so just so that you you all know that I i'm so glad it. you're doing Thank that you. i uh, yeah i'm so glad you're doing that well we have to start somewhere and you know I happen to have a friend who's like in the, um, what is it called? Educational something, you know, Yeah. essentially like educating the staff. And she was like, oh, I'm going to contact our ER director and let's have a conversation about this. And I was like, yep, let's do it. Set a precedent. Do something new that every other hospital in America can go, oh, we can do that too. Anyway. So good. I'm obsessed. Yeah. I because that. I think, cause that was a very traumatic experience in, in itself. It's like months go by and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you, you get a bill in the mail and you're like, cool, I get to pay 10 grand to lose my baby. Yep. Right. Awesome. So excited Mind about you, that. Losing your baby didn't happen in a day, right? Like for you in that experience, losing your baby took six weeks. That's what makes so me understand. Daily reminder yeah. of I'm losing my baby. I'm still losing it. I'm still losing. Now I'm losing me. Like there's no baby there anymore. Now I'm just losing parts of myself. And it seems like there's no resolution to this. What a mind fuck. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, that's why it I, makes me like understand your point of view of like why you did do what you do, why you said what you said. Cause it's like literally like that's what is happening is you spend six weeks losing your baby and being reminded every day, every time you fucking go to the bathroom, every single time you go to the bathroom, that is what you're thinking. For sure. And that's exactly, I think that's the best way you could probably put that is because after my 12 week miscarriage, where I started bleeding at work, took myself to the hospital and had horrible experience at the hospital where they're like, sent me on the my way home. And we're like, okay, you're going to bleed. I'm like, I've had two miscarriages. I know how this goes, but like, what does it look like now? Like, and they're like, well, this is going to be different than your, the only thing that they said was this is going to be different than like your earlier miscarriages. So if you vomit, come back. That's what they told me. And I was like, what? Like, I'm like sobbing. My husband's sobbing. Like, we're all like, what is going on? And you know, then I come back. 24 hours later because I had started vomiting and I passed out on the bathroom floor and my husband picked me up, put me in the car and took me to the hospital where I then had a DNC awake on an emergency room table. Like that, like the whole thing. Why were you awake? That is why. Because it, I was bleeding so much. They just said, we have to take, we're, we're doing it right now. 
I couldn't. Have, right? I couldn't have done it away. I like, was like so hysterical just getting on the table. Like I was hysterical before and after so much. So like, I think I would like, that's my husband. My husband was in the room with me, watched the whole thing, completely traumatized him. Like, I don't know. So yes, everything about miscarriage care in the ER and at the hospital needs to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's but I, yeah. So we're going to promote the hell out of these conversations <laughs> when it comes to that, because I just don't, I don't think that the ER department is at fault necessarily. I don't think they're trained. I don't think they understand. I just, it's a whole it's a huge intervention that needs to happen. And I have found, like I said, I've already started researching it and I'm starting to find some organizations who are really pushing for this. And like, I think you have to hear people tell this side of the story to understand why it's important. Totally agree. And you're right. It's not the fault of the ER, but I get it. They're trained to react to every kind of response, right? And they're an emergency room. And I probably was not very high on their priority list that day because I was having a miscarriage as opposed to whatever else is happening in the emergency room. But still to just say, well, it's not going to be like your, you know, earlier miscarriages. This is going to be rougher, but if you vomit, come back. Like none of that made sense to me. And then the thing that I think really pissed me off too, is that since then I have obviously learned going through fertility treatments and stuff that I could have genetically tested the baby. I wish I had been offered that. Like, I think that would have changed the trajectory of how I like approached my fertility care. If I had been able to test, you know, and find out what was wrong with that baby. I have no answers for my first three miscarriages, zero. And I just wish that I even knew that that was an option then. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. total sense. So. I want us to redirect because I feel like we can do this part all day. Yeah. Let's get to the present. And so then Dorothy, then maternity is unknown, right? Because the relationship is kind of in this place, like, "Mm, we're not ready to do that. But there's a part of you that's like, but I want to do it at some point. Oh, not a part. So much so. I mean, my whole body wanted a child, like at that point, my whole body and being and mind and everything wanted a baby yeah so how have we gotten to where we are now and like what you and I had a conversation about I don't even know what my options are like my my relationship is not actively pursuing a baby at this moment but I'm nervous about what that means for the future and I'm you know, you're a ticking time bomb and you're getting older and all the things that they tell you. So there's a part of you that's like, even though I don't, I don't want to have a baby right this minute, I want to ensure that I have a good chance of having one in the future. So let's kind of get to where you are today and taking those forward steps. I loved that conversation. That conversation with you and me changed the entire trajectory of my life. I think it was like 15 minutes of your time. That's how much I love you. Thank you. You're so impactful. <laughs> so that was an interesting time. So coming off of the miscarriage, my first thing was like, I need to get my hormones in check. Like what's going on with those? Because I feel like a crazy person. I don't feel like myself. I struggled with suicidal ideation, oh. um, all of that. And 
so I spent a lot of time doing like somatic work, body work. Um, that's where I found Erin was through acupuncture. Cause I had went and seen a cranial sacral girl who was doing also Thai massage, like getting my nervous system back to check because I was so stressed out. My body was so stressed out. Um, so just getting my nervous system back into check so that I could actually start thinking about things in a more like logical way, but you can't mm -hmm. do that when your body is in fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was really calming that down, working with you with the acupuncture of calming that down. And then that's when it, my body felt safe enough to start looking at what are my options and what's on the menu is what I like to call it of like, mm -hmm. oh, I need a menu in front of me to show me what are all these things that these different ways that babies can happen, that people have babies. So I started exploring like, what is it like to have a baby on your own? Is that something that I want? Is that something I want to do? I started exploring, um, do I want to freeze my eggs? Do I want to freeze my embryos? Do I want to, um, how do I want to ensure that I do have baby Marilyn? And like, what are the things that I can be doing now? And really evaluating the way that I want children why I want children, what's the urgency behind the children. Like I really started asking myself some of those like tough questions. And then when I spoke with you, Erin, it was so beautiful because you just had so many examples of different ways that women chose to have babies and moved through that decision-making process. I remember you mm -hmm. saying something about some woman who you know, tried some things and then now she's in her forties or she's, you know, 44 or 42 or something along those lines. And she decided to finally have a child on her own, but she had saved eggs or something. And so it was just like, all of a sudden this, like this pocket of information that I didn't have access to, to had become apparent and available to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. So then that kind of started me down the journey of like, what is it like to freeze my eggs? And do I want to do that? And what does that look like? And because I think one of the other things too, that I was so fascinating was about this whole experience is that coming off of that, people started saying like infertility and using the word infertility with me. And I'm like, I don't think I'm having fertility problems. Like, I think I've had two tragic experiences, but like, I wouldn't necessarily peg myself as someone who's struggling with fertility. Like, but I don't know that. And I don't know that for certain. And I don't have a partner who's testing that out with me. So I don't know what that looks like. So I'm trying to take all of these preventative issues. Meanwhile, not knowing if like I have fertility problems or not. So right. when I had that conversation with you, it really just opened my mind up to like all these different ways that people were doing this. And I was like, okay, so the next best step, I think for myself, regardless of what's going on, you know, in my relationship or when things move forward with us or things like that is really just go see if I should get my eggs frozen. They're going to do like a, an assessment, a fertility assessment to see where I'm at, what's going on and get a baseline. And as soon as I have that baseline, I can start making more decisions from there. But I think I had forgot until I spoke to Erin that you got to start like taking like one step, like you don't have to identify the end goal before mm -hmm. you take the first step. Like, and I, but I'm used, I'm so used to making a decision about the end goal to then take forward steps towards that, that I forgot that maybe I don't need to know what the end goal is yet 
and I can take the next best step. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Totally makes sense. Yep. I love yeah. that. And I'm so glad. So have you frozen your eggs or your yeah, so I'm in the process. I um I did all of the testing and I have my appointment with the doctor on the 8th of December to like figure out what all the testing actually meant. So I'm very excited to see how that goes and kind of like talk that through myself and talk that through with my partner and figure out what we want to do kind of like from there. That's amazing. I think you're making very smart choices. And I think it highlights out. too that the path to parenthood can take on a lot of different versions in a couple like you can see how two people go through the same experience and one goes left and one goes right and I think what's really exciting is that you're not necessarily waiting for your partner to get to the same place it's like well, I'm going to do this for me, for my peace of mind, and possibly for our peace of mind in the future. But I want to, it's just like you said, I want to build a life that no one can take away from me. So instead of waiting for this other person to get to where I am, I'm just going to do my own thing. And then when he joins me, we'll have, you know, we'll have money in the bank, if you will. And Babies in the bank. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Babies on chill. But I think it just, it's really, it illustrates, like we talk about modern family today. And I think that this is partly why I always say like, I kind of love Dorothy because she just does this thing where she's like, okay, I'm going to do this. And it's not a big deal. And it really wasn't about him or about your relationship. It was just about the next steps forward and understanding a little bit more about what are my options and what are my processes. And I think that a lot of people are really stuck and they're just really intimidated to take that step. And so it's exciting to hear someone say like, yeah, it wasn't like I threw a hand grenade and like we broke up and all these terrible things. Like, no, I just said, I'm going to go see the fertility guy and put my eggs on ice if that's what he suggests I do. So I just love that. Yeah. And it was kind of funny that you say that because the doctor, even like the first conversation that we had, he was like, you're doing him like a huge favor. And I was like, wow, I didn't even like think about it like that. <laughs> I thought I was right. doing myself you are, a though. huge favor, but at the same time, yes. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It doesn't, you don't have to be a single person to do this. You can be a person in a relationship and that can be a relationship that's just, you know, in whatever phase that it's in. But like you said, it it doesn't necessarily get easier as we age, right? All the fertility doctors will tell you that. Well, if you'd done this five years ago, you'd be in a totally different place. So then just do do it, you know, even if you're not in the same relationship or even if it doesn't really matter, you, the female can make the decision to go do this and save yourself and whatever partner ends up being the partner of choice. You can just do it and it's okay. Yeah. It's a lot of peace of mind. I'm like, I'll have my 33 year old eggs there if they need to be you. I mean, it's literally an insurance policy. Think about how great you feel when you have house insurance or how, when you have life insurance, or if you have insurance on anything, you feel just a sense of peace of mind that everything's kind of taken care of. Yeah. I love that. And it is, it's so true. Like we did, we did a very unsuccessful round of IVF last summer, um, or this, this summer. Wow. What's like already Thanksgiving, (laughs) um, back in June and I'm 35 and I, uh, I'm angry with myself that I didn't do one more round like two years ago 
because I had, I guess, a lot changes. And, you know, once you hit your mid thirties, things change. And so I wish I like hate that I didn't do it sooner. Mm. See, and I keep hearing that theme. It's a theme <laughs> that I keep hearing that, that like you can't ignore it when it's being said to you, but especially by another female, especially by someone who's endured so much. I like take what you're saying extremely serious. I'm glad <laughs> I, mm-hmm. it's a conversation that I have with my little sister. It's a conversation that I have with friends that are younger. I mean, I am particularly now that there's so many businesses that are providing progeny, um, which is insurance for fertility insurance. And if it's covered by your employer, what is holding you back? Like you 1000% should do it. Cause you just don't know what you don't know. I feel like even in like the worst case scenario where you get diagnosed with cancer at a young age or something like that, like you have options, you know, I just, I just don't think, you know, what your future looks like as much as you want to predict and be a planner. Like that's me. I would have never thought the trajectory of my life would have to become an infertile person. I never would have thought that because my family is a super fertile family, like lots of kids. My husband has, you know, he has five siblings, like, no issues. And so I never would have thought that, you know, I just think Mm -hmm. you don't know what you don't know. And if you have the means and the options to make sure that you have options later on in life, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And to remind everybody, when we're talking about freezing eggs and not embryos, Mm -hmm. there's no custody issue. Right. This is not a co-own. Right. These are yours and you can do whatever you want with them and you don't have to rely on that other person making that choice, whatever it is. When you have embryos that are frozen, it's essentially a custody situation and you as a group have to decide how to move forward. And that is a very complicating factor, especially if we're talking about a couple who's splitting up or something like that. So I feel like that's even extra peace of mind that you're saying like, well, these are these are my things and they go with me everywhere I want. And if I don't want them, I don't have to get anybody else's permission to do what I need to do. So, Yeah amazing. I never thought about that. It is. I have a friend actually who her and her husband went through several rounds of IVF and then they actually ended up, um, getting a divorce. It was IVF. Infertility was, is hard for every relationship. Let me just say that. Um, and so she ended up freezing her eggs after that, um, because she just didn't know she's also in her mid thirties. And then now she has met, um, her new partner and they're so happy and they're looking at, um, you know, having kids and he, I believe had a vasectomy. Um, so like they were going to have to do this anyways, it was going to be a challenge no matter what. So now she has her several year old eggs on ice now. So they'll just go in, do the, you know, do the surgery, grab the sperm and just fertilize the frozen eggs that she has. Like now she's so thankful that she did that. Like she would have never been able to predict like how this all went down, you know, but she made the right choice. That's I think it's amazing. great. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So Dorothy, yeah. have you thought about, cons- like, have you considered doing it by yourself? How does that, do you think about that? Oh yeah, I've definitely considered it. Um, it's something that I feel like months ago I was really looking at and really, oh, I've considered it heavily. And I think <laughs> the biggest thing that comes up for me though, is that I don't know how to put this and I don't want it to sound negative, 
but here, I'm just going to say it and you'll, you'll hear it and we, we can walk backwards from there. But I'm like, I have bulldozed my way to everything that I've ever wanted. Like I get what I want. I created the business that I wanted. I have an amazing, beautiful home. I have an amazing, beautiful dog. I have a lot of the things that I wanted. And some of those things really flowed energetically. And some of them, I think I bulldozed my way to. And I don't know if that makes sense, but there's things that you, like, have you ever noticed when you've like forced something into being Mm -hmm. versus it flowing into being? And I know that what's meant to be in my life is. So I realized that even if I consider it bulldozing, like it's here because it's meant to be. And with the baby stuff, after a lot of evaluation, I feel like I was bulldozing my way into being a mom in a way that I don't necessarily want to be. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I think about being a mom on my own, I'm like, yeah, I could do that. I know that I could do that. I know that there's solutions to that. I could create it. I'm like there for it. But when I think about what I truly want, like I don't want to be in my big home with my amazing job and a no pair and my dog alone and my baby. Like I, I want... I want a partner there to share that experience with. I want a partner who's excited to create life together. Um, it's a very like spiritual, symbolic thing for me. And I'm not saying that I'm turning away from that idea completely. Um, I want a partner. But if I get to my early 40s and I still don't have a child and I'm not with a partner who wants a child, we're not actively trying, I... I I would revisit that again. And I think I would be in a completely different space, even more set up for a child. Like I'm just realizing a lot of the pieces that would make my life easier when having a child are still not in place. So they're still being built. It's like my business is almost on autopilot. We're like 90% there, but like if we're a hundred percent there, awesome. And then when we have six months of savings set aside for all of the business expenses, plus plus all of my personal expenses, like maternity leave, having that set up, like I just, I think there are a lot of ways that I could be even more set up for success. And that's also another, like all of these volunteering things and coaching things and getting involved with kids. Like I haven't read a single parenting book yet, but like, as I'm experiencing these experiences with kids, I'm like, wow, there's like a huge gap in my understanding of how to parent and like, what's the best way to do that. And like, I can start prepping all of that ahead of time. And there's a lot of things I want to do between now and actually having a child that I've, I feel a lot less, um, of like the strong draw that I had to like make it happen now, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. But it's definitely not off the table. Like if something were to happen or if something were to happen to my partner or like, I have no idea. If I'm in my early forties and I still don't have a child, we're going to have a very different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. But I think it's so great too, the way that you're, you're very introspective and you're very self-reflective and it's like, um, you were paddling really fast for a minute, right? Like every, you were reacting, you were very reactionary. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, whoa let me just slow this down a little bit and see what unfolds. Maybe I'm working too hard and I don't have to. So that, again, this is why I wanted to talk with you because I love this contrast. Like you, you kind of make this assumption like, oh, 
she's freezing her eggs. She's like taking the steps to become it, but, but you're really not again. It's like, I'm just taking the steps to build myself some security so that I can really take my time and try and let this unfold in the way that feels most empowering and most unique to my personal experience. And you don't have to do one or the other. You can literally do both. Right. You can take action and also chill at Mm -hmm. the same time. And I feel like that's part of what happens in the IVF world is you, you kind of start to feel railroaded. Like, well, we went in and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and this, this, and it's just happening so quickly. And it's two years later and you hadn't even really made any choices. Like you were just sort of paddling so fast. Yeah. You might've done it all differently if people had had like, okay, well we did that. Now let's take, let's take five and see how this unveils itself. But that's not how America works. And that's not how medical science works, right? It's like, well, if you're going to do X, you might as well do Z. And if you're going to do this, you might as well do that. And then all of a sudden you've done all these things. Mm -hmm. So I just love the way that you're like coming and going at the same time. Yeah. hundred percent. That's exactly what's happening. Yep. Uh, um, Brian. Yes. You look like you're about to say something. Go ahead. Nope. You go. <laughs> I'm, I honestly don't really have anything to say. I'm just, I love, I really enjoy having conversations with women who just get it. And I, as much as I wish you didn't get it, I'm glad that I have this. Me too. I feel the same exact way. Yeah. I'm like really glad that we met and we got to talk today about it because I actually haven't really, I, I think about it now and I'm like, I haven't spoken to a lot of women who are at least in depth speaking to someone like this is the most I've gotten in terms of like peer-to-peer support. So thank you. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, yeah. I'm here anytime you want to talk. You. Like that's a, you know, it's a real thing. Yeah. Anytime you want to talk. Thank I, you. It's helpful. I truly believe in the power of community healing. Like I think it's important. It's huge. It is. So Dorothy, I feel like you've said so much already, but is there any other advice? If there's someone listening who's in any position to just isn't sure how they're becoming a mother's story goes, you have any coach advice or any just Dorothy the person advice? I mean, I think my biggest thing is kind of what I alluded to earlier around finding all the ways that you can be a mom now with what you have, not because you're settling and you don't then work to become a mom. But I think that any big thing I've created in my life, it required me to act as if before I received. So I had to act as if I was the breakup coach before I became a breakup coach. I had to say that I'm a breakup coach before it was like a normal thing or like, except I wouldn't even, I still get weird looks now, but like I had to do that before I ever even had a breakup coaching client to be able to get a client. I had to tell everyone I was a breakup coach. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with being a mom is I am a mom. I say that I'm a mom. I have like children in heaven. I've got a pet baby Tinkerbell here that I'm a mom. I'm a mom to the people who don't have moms. I show up as a mom in all of the ways that I possibly can. And I'm still learning and growing through that way. And I will act as if I'm a mom until I have a child here in this reality. And it won't even feel, what's fascinating about that is like once 
the thing you're manifesting comes to fruition in real in this reality. I think when you've been living as if for so long, it doesn't even feel, it's like, of course, it's like the next thing. Like, it's like an of course thing. Of course that's happening. Of course that's taking place. And I know that that might, um, I think for someone who's recently experienced or maybe even Brian, like you've experienced it so many times, the miscarriage, um, it might even be hard to hear that. And so I don't mean it. If, if something I say doesn't resonate, don't take it. But if it does resonate, definitely take it. And I just, for me, that's been like my biggest saving grace is like getting to show up as a mom in ways that I would have hoped to be able to show up as a mom to my child. Um, so I think that's like the biggest thing for me. And I think another thing that I've said for a really long time is like, I give zero fucks about the how. I am not above <laughs> any of the hows. So I, I guess when I think about becoming a mom, I'm like, it's going to happen. I have no idea how. And I'm not above any of them. And I really, really hope that I get to be pregnant and create my baby in my womb. But if I don't and I have to adopt or not become a mom in like a physical way like that at all, I know that I'm here having the human experience that I was meant to have. And so I trust that that's what's unfolding. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm that just going to amen to that. Yeah. Amen. Are you a, this is like kind of a sidebar, but are you a Friends fan? Oh, I love Friends. Yeah. Um. So Ch Monica is me. I am her. We are this exact same person. Um, I can so see that. Yeah. <laughs> so by proxy, um, Obviously, Chandler was my other favorite character. Um, and there's an episode, you know, they they adopt and because they have fertility issues. And there's an episode where Chandler says he's like, which RIP, Matthew Barry, I'm so sad about that. Um, there's an episode where he says that Monica is a mother without a baby. And I just feel that everything that you just said, like, is real. And even when you like, it almost makes me want to cry. Like, even when you think about Monica's character, like she is a mother, like she had been the entire time from season one, episode time. one, you know what I mean? So like, that's like the energy. Like when I think about having a baby, I think one of the craziest questions to ask yourself is why do I want to have a child? And mm -hmm. is there like, I haven't found a reason that's not, I don't want to use the word selfish, but I haven't found a reason that's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just find it fascinating when I ask myself that question and like getting really clear about it of, I want to be able to be a mom, raise a child, make an influence, make an impact. And I want to like create a family in my home. And so my partner and I have just figured like, we're constantly now talking about our family and it's constantly like, oh, don't you love our family? Like we're sitting there in bed with Tinkerbell and it's like, our family's so cute. Like we're doing that. And I'm just like, I could have been doing that the whole time. And I just thought that I had to have a human baby in my reality to be able to do that. But there's just so many ways that I can do that now and experience that fulfilling, complete feeling that I know that I will have if, and when I become a mother. Um, in that way, if that makes sense. It makes so much sense. I feel like I really needed to hear that today. Mm. <laughs> so good. Yeah. I love it. I was wonderful. Thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate this oh. space. So thank you. This absolutely. was absolutely delightful, I will say. Yeah. Thank you for being so honest and candid and all the things. I just, I think it's going to help so many people 
just figure out their shit. Yeah. Thank you. It's true. It's true. You've been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you. The Protected Space Podcast is hosted by Erin Attaway and Bryant Liggett and is brought to you by The Fertility Resort. To learn more about us, head over to thefertilityresort.com and give us a follow on all social platforms at Protected Space Pod.